Welcome to episode number 59 of Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm Justin Gordon, your host, and in this episode, we have Austin Reef, who is the COO and co-founder of Morning Brew. And the Morning Brew is a new media company that brings you informative and digestible business news. And they just passed a million readers in early 2019. And they cover everything from Wall Street to Silicon Valley, the latest news in all of it daily. Austin, as well as his co-founder, Alex, are both members of the Forbes 30 Under 30 class of 2019. And in 2018, the Morning Brew's revenue topped $3 million. The company is absolutely crushing it, and it's easy to see why. I read their newsletter almost every day, checking it out because it is the latest business news, but it is so easy because it's it's funny, it's witty, they do a great job writing it, and it's one of the best ones out there, hands down, so check it out. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast. You can support the show on any podcast platforms, especially leaving a rating and review in iTunes. I would very much so appreciate that. Also, you can join the Facebook community for Just Go Grind at facebook.com slash groups slash Just Go Grind. And without further ado, here is Austin Reef, the COO of The Morning Brew. Austin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to have you on. And I've, I don't remember how I first heard about The Morning Brew, but obviously I've been reading it for a while now. And congrats on the million subscriber mark you hit in early 2019. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm sure the hard work has paid off. And I'm curious as to how exactly The Morning Brew got its start. And was it always an email? Yeah, it always was email. So I'll take you back. It was 2015. My co-founder, Alex Lieberman, was a senior at the time at the University of Michigan in the business school while I was a sophomore. So he's a couple years older. And he was helping a few friends with interview prep. Uh, he had a job at Morgan Stanley locked up, but his friends did not have a job after graduation. And so he was helping them get jobs, doing some in-person interview prep. And after a series of, of questions, these people, he quickly found out that people really struggle to resonate with the business world. At least people our age struggle to resonate. You know, the average age of the Wall Street Journal is in the 60s. The Economist and New York Times aren't much younger. And yeah. so he realized that these publications, while really high quality, were not writing in a way that young people want to be written to, and we're not covering the stories they most cared about. And so it transformed from interview prep to uh, this crappy PDF template that, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very funny to look back on. It had a bull and a bear fighting. Very funny, but the it was it was a good proof of concept because it looked terrible and there was infinite friction to sign up. It was actually right. impossible to sign up unless you went to or you opened up your email, email Alex saying, Hey, can I get signed up to Morning Brew? So there was no sign up page or anything like that. It wasn't really even a business. It was simply a side project, but the proof of concept was there. So I came on board with Alex and we co-founded Morning Brew March 15th, I believe 2015 as a daily email newsletter. So it did start as an email. That is incredible. And I did see an image of that early like PDF and I was like, wow, that's amazing that you start from wherever you can, right? And even like you said, it wasn't necessarily a business right away. And my curiosity with you is what prompted you to join to go after this with him? Yeah, well, 
at the beginning, I was just looking to get involved with something entrepreneurial. I was in the Michigan's business school, or not everyone, but the majority of people go into finance. And so I was following the herd and heading off to an investment banking internship. But I saw this as an opportunity to, at the very least, help start something of my own, get some good experience, and do something that I was really interested in. I saw the value in it from day one. I can't say I, I knew it was going to be what it is now. <laughs> certainly did the value in one, engaging young business professionals or, or young business people, and two, creating content that people actually care about. Yeah. And with that newsletter, I mean, obviously a newsletter, like people open their email, which is why it's such a perfect thing. Like all you need is attention, right? And people are in their email inbox for sure, especially like young people were checking that. I'm curious like from that perspective, then how do you decide on the actual content side of the newsletter then? Yeah. So actually right now I'm not involved in the content personally. I took a step back or my co-founder and I took a step back when we hired people who are much more talented than we are. But it's a combination of a few things. One, we want you to finish reading Morning Brew knowing you have the tools to go into a conversation with your coworkers or your boss or your friends and have not missed out on anything that's relevant in the business world. So first yeah. and foremost, we're going to give you the most important information about the business world. There's tons of newsletters out there some of which are really fun and witty and have that side of what we do. But I wouldn't say you could feel confident that you're ready to attack the world and have a productive day and know everything about the business world. So that's first and foremost. Next, we're looking for, okay, other than that, what are the stories that people in their 20s would resonate with or care about? So we're over-indexing on things like technology, consumer-facing products, direct-to-consumer products, products in general that apply or, or that sell to people our age, products we use every day. From there, we also have, towards the bottom of the newsletter, some lifestyle content. And we track clicks on that content. And we have an insider group with some of our most engaged readers, and we're constantly getting feedback in there. So it's a combination of the most important stories, as well as what we think our readers would care most about. And the best part about it is we are our readers. So we are in the target demo. We're writing for ourselves. So our managing editor, Neil, will look over to me and give me a stat. And if I give a reaction, I go, wow. He'll be like, oh, you know, we have a funny thing. Stats that make you go, wow. Any stat <laughs> you go, wow, we like to put the newsletter. And so it's great. So we sit around the office and, and we are our target demo. So we have that ability to see what interests us. Yeah, that's, that's super important for any business, especially early on. And just going back to the early stages of the company, like where did that initial traction come from, from the Morning Brew? Early on, it was all grit. So it was Alex and I going into every single club and class at the University of Michigan, pounding the pavement and just getting people to sign up. So we go into Econ 101, Finance 101, Accounting 101, make a five-minute pitch or a three-minute pitch at the beginning or the end of class and, and pass our laptop around and get people to sign up. We also flyered the business school, flyered the libraries. And then we saw some traction. So that got us from zero to, let's say, a thousand or two thousand. And then we got 10 or 12 of our friends at other schools to do the same thing. So we replicated that process to get to about 15 to 20,000. That's incredible. And at what point then did you know that obviously this was like a business that you were going to start monetizing this, have advertisers? Like, how soon in that process did that happen? 
So after my junior year, so 2016, summer of 2016, I interned at an investment bank called Mollis and Company. And we had discussed the idea of going full time before the internship. It wasn't that serious. And afterwards, Alex and I sat down at a very serious conversation. I think we were in the 35 ish thousand subscriber range. And we realized that we both wanted to be entrepreneurs. We realized we were onto something. It wasn't really monetizable quite yet. We ran a few ads for a couple hundred dollars, but there was enough proof of concept to dedicate at the very least my entire senior year and the year after to it. So I decided not to go back to that investment bank and Alex quit his job. We went full time. That's incredible. And going from that, then you you test out a few advertisers. I mean, what are you looking at then to see, okay, is this the right time to do more? Obviously, 35,000 subscribers is a lot of subscribers, but how did you know, I guess? Or how did you figure out like, okay, yeah, we're going to charge more now. Like, I'm curious on the pricing and everything with that too. You never really know when the right time to monetize. Some of our competitors started monetizing day one. Others started monetizing four years in. We believe that monetizing four years in was a mistake. We didn't want to raise a ton of, or actually any venture capital, at least not in 2017. Yeah. Uh, when we saw some of the mistakes of some of the other or some of the venture backed media companies. So we realized we need to build a company that grows based off of profits, off of cash flow. And so what we said was we need to create products and services that have a true path and a quick path to monetization. And we still believe that today. We don't invest in things that we say, okay, maybe one day we'll be able to monetize. Maybe one day these viral videos on Facebook or LinkedIn will have ads integrated or, or whatever it may be. We're very revenue focused because we don't have any venture capital funding. And so we just had to advertise. We didn't have a choice. Right. And how did you decide on that then? The route that you took in terms of not going the, the VC route, at least not in 2017. How did you decide on that? Yeah, I think it was us surveying the landscape and seeing what was out there. We saw companies were struggling. And, and I still, to this day, think that a lot of venture back, just the venture model is not an investor-friendly model. Yeah, Venture capitalists in general, what you sign up for as a venture capitalist is the law of large numbers. You're hoping one to two investments succeed massively. You have a billion dollar, a $10 billion exit, and the other eight fail. And it's just a symptom of what the system is. And it's, you're not looking for all 10 companies that have 20, 25% returns. You're looking for one or two to have 50x returns. And that's just not something we were interested in. We weren't interested in being a 10 or 20% chance of success. We wanted to grow at a reasonable rate. We wanted to do things on our own terms. And so we realized the only way to do that was being profitable from practically day one. Yeah. And that's a, it's a definitely a different route to go. There's so many different routes to go in terms of raising capital for your, your business and moving forward, whether you have profits actually funded or what you did as well. You did a family and friends round in late 2017, I read. And with that fundraising, I'm curious as to like what the pitch was. Like how do you approach friends and family with this newsletter idea? Like how do you approach that? What was the pitch like for that? Yeah, so it's funny. We call it the family and friends round, but it was very few family and friends. We, <laughs> yeah, we really leveraged the Michigan network, talked to some people, 
we convinced a few people to take flyers on us. And our lead investor, his name's Rob Marcus. He was the CEO of Time Warner Cable. And once we had him on the cap table, it was significantly easier for us to convince other people that this is a good idea. And we pitched it very honestly. We said, this is going to be a, we're not saying slow growth by any means. We're not, we're not an industrials company. I'm trying to grow three or 5% a year. We're trying to at least double every year for the first couple of years, but we are going to grow responsibly. We're going to grow into products and services that we know have a chance to monetize. This isn't a SaaS company. It doesn't make sense financially to invest tens of millions of dollars up front because we're going to see all this recurring revenue down the road. We're investing for high quality ROI and investors resonated with that. And so that and the combination of that and Rob really helped kick off this round, but it wasn't easy. It took three to six months to raise that capital. Yeah. And how many meetings like are you taking or how does that go for those three to six months? I know some people will hear that and be like, how does it take six months to raise capital? Like you just meet some people and figure it out. Like how often were you working on that? Like meetings every week or how did that go for you? Yeah, it was pretty funny. So I was doing that during my senior year of college. So I'm a, okay. <laughs> I'm a senior in college trying to raise three quarters of a million dollars. And these, some of these checks were coming in hundred thousand dollars. And I was holding a hundred thousand dollar check. <laughs> wow. This guy's really trusting me or this girl's really trusting me to spend wisely and invest their hundred thousand dollars. So it was funny, but it was constant. So it was our round is about 25 investors. So it was just constant meetings, constant talking to people, relentless for three to six months. I can't give an exact number of meetings per week or meetings in general, but it was a lot. Yeah, like constantly. You're just constantly talking to people all the time. That's basically what it seems like. And it's actually funny. That's one of many, a long list of reasons we don't want to keep on raising capital is a lot of these founders who work at heavily venture or start heavily venture-backed firms, they're always fundraising. And that's not something we want to do. We didn't want to be constantly fundraising. We wanted to be growing and executing a high quality business. Yeah. And that the route you took, and that's, it's a, it's a different path, it's just a different path for growing a business. And obviously it started with just you two and you've grown into like 10 full-time employees now. So how has that been growing the team around this as you've grown? It's been great. There's always ups and downs. I, I always say people and hiring is the hardest part of growing a business. But it really has been a great challenge for us. We're thankful and lucky that we have to work with incredible people. And it's always an interesting process starting to hire people. You don't know what you're looking for. You don't know what's going to come back. But we've had a few big hiring spurts. So we went from myself, my co-founder to five. And that was two writers and a do-it-all. So one of our first employees uh, who still is on the team now, uh, he's our senior product lead now. But when we first launched, he was doing growth, developing everything. Uh, so that was the first big jump from two to five. Then we went five to 10 when we, or five to nine when we hired a few salespeople, a growth marketer. Uh, then we went from nine to 13 as we built out the sales team. And we actually just went from 13 to we'll be 19 middle of the summer. So that was oh, wow. the biggest jump there. And the reason behind that is simply we, as a business, spent all of 2018 being hyper-focused on one thing, and that was creating the best possible daily business newsletter. So we figured out the way to create the highest quality content with the best writers out there. We have the best growth mechanisms out there. And then we figured out a way to monetize this thing, partnering with companies and creating in-house native brand awareness ads. So we don't do banner ads. We don't do programmatic. It's all working directly with partners. 
it's obviously working. <laughs> it's working well for you guys. Yeah, it's been great. And end of last year, we sat down and said, what are we going to do next? We're focused on continuing to grow the core newsletter. You know, We're not stopping at a million. We want to get to two, five, ten. But what else do we want to do? And we decided to double down on our core competency, which is creating really high quality emails. And we want to take our tone, design, format, email expertise, selling and growth, and take that into other content verticals. So a month and a half ago, we launched Morning Brew Emerging Tech, which is our twice a week emerging tech newsletter, covers everything from AI to machine learning to blockchain. And every couple months for the rest of this year, our plan is to launch new verticals. We're going to launch retail, real estate, a few other verticals over the next 12 months or so. And one of the reasons we're doing this is we got so many inbound emails from people saying, I work in marketing at an ad agency and I absolutely love Morning Brew. If only I had Morning Brew for marketing. If only I had Morning Brew for real estate. If only I had Morning Brew for the cannabis industry. So we're taking their advice and we're doing that. We're, we're creating conversational business news. And this allows us to go a bit deeper in areas that people need to understand a bit more because they're working in the industry. Yeah. And choosing those verticals is just a matter of like how you approach that opportunity. Is it like, okay, we have a ton of people asking for this specific vertical. Uh, this is a big need. I'm curious on your process for figuring that out. Yeah. There's no exact algorithm to it. We look at a few different things. Number one, we first evaluated the majority, you know, I can't say every industry, but we, we <laughs> a bunch of industries, industries, we said, which are the most attractive? And so what's an attractive industry? One, there's a lot of people in that industry. We do a great job of growing audiences at scale. We're not trying to find and curate the Fortune 500 CMOs in retail. We're trying to get large audiences of people who work in the retail industry. So that's first is large audience. Two is there's a lot going on. There's a lot of innovation, a lot of disruption, because that gives, that leads to a lot of news. And so most industries are seeing that, but some more than others. And the other thing is advertising base. What's the advertising pool? Are there big conferences or trade shows where people are advertising? Are there other content providers who have a bunch of advertisers? And then lastly, do we think there's a need in that vertical for our content? If there isn't, we won't go into it. But I think in most verticals, there is a need for our conversational news. So there's all of those criteria. Plus, we got to find writers. And that's the hardest part, right. finding great writers who can write in a very conversational, witty tone. And that's the criteria we use. And so we found an unbelievable emerging tech writer in Ryan Duffy, who has been doing a great job writing this newsletter. And we have a bunch more in the pipeline coming. And obviously the writers, are, I mean, that's so important to your, your business. Where do you find them? Is it you, Originally, was it your personal network? I mean, I'm just curious on where you actually find these people. It's a lot of work finding the right people. <laughs> and what we found is a lot of the people you'd think are the perfect writer, whether it's because they work at a legacy publication that has a great brand or maybe they have an unbelievable background. What we've seen is it doesn't always translate to writing in the morning brew tone and voice. So we find our writers everywhere. You know, one of our writers worked at the street, another didn't work in journalism at all. So, we are very opportunistic in where we find our writers, network recommendations. It's difficult. I actually believe that's one of the biggest moats we have. Everyone talks about what's your moat around the business. I challenge anyone to find, train, and maintain 
writers who write at the quality that our writers do because it's extremely difficult. Yeah. And from just reading, being a, a reader of Morning Brew, I mean, it's high quality every single time. It's obviously engaging. It's witty. It's funny. And it's like, how do they do it every day? You know, you like wonder as a reader, you're like curious. And obviously you have hired the right people and found the right people. And they, yeah, like you said, that's a, that's a huge moat around your company to, you know, to defensibility. Like you said, they mentioned with businesses, you have a high quality product and you can see that from the reader's perspective. And to that point, I mean, that's obviously a huge part of your business. That is the business. But how do you go from 35,000 to you know, over a million subscribers? Like, What else has kind of fueled that growth over the years? We've been really scrappy with the way we grow and, and we've tested a ton of different things. The biggest growth driver for us has been our referral program. So when everyone signs up, they get a unique link and we incentivize people to share that link with their friends and family. So at three referrals, you get the light roast, which is our Sunday morning edition exclusive. You can't pay for it. You have to get three referrals at five. We'll send you morning brew custom stickers at 10. We give you access to our exclusive Facebook group. 25, you get a t-shirt, so on and so forth, up until the morning room mug. We're up to between 50 and 65,000 referrals a month. That's great. That's grown with time, but that really allows us to test other acquisition channels that may not work out for us, but because we know they're going to be bringing their friends and families with them, we're more willing to test these new acquisition channels. So the referral program has been a big one for us. And just to give some context, the list of people who get that Sunday morning newsletter is up to about 65, 70,000 people. So we have 65 to 70,000 people who've gotten three referrals. Right. Which is a huge amount. <laughs> yeah. Great. And in general, we can see the, the, the referral tree, so to speak, of who you refer. And we see people at Goldman Sachs referring other people at Goldman Sachs, people who are at Amazon. And so we see this organically grow into different companies. And I'm very excited in the upcoming weeks, we're going to be launching the referral program for emerging tech. And I'm very excited to have that virality happen within an industry. I'm really excited to see how that takes off. And I'm very optimistic that that referral program will thrive even more so when the content is more niche like emerging tech. So that's the referral program. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but then we test other things. So we run uh, paid acquisitions just like other companies. We do promotions, partnerships. We really test everything. And then we found success with a few things. And we really continue to execute on those. Yeah. And one of the things you mentioned with the partnerships being so key to the company, how do you approach finding, quote unquote, the right partners or partners for your business? It really depends. We like to do small tests first. If they go well, expand. In general, partnerships are a great one-off. But we haven't seen a ton of success with long-term partnerships with other companies. It's really difficult to align incentives and make sure both partners are seeing equal value. As we get bigger, though, and we can drive more traffic or add more value to other companies, all of a sudden, a lot of these partnerships are coming back. And we went away from partnerships for a while. But I can see in the next 12 months, us creating much deeper, stronger partnerships where we add significantly more value both ways. And I'm really excited for that. I think that's the way the world is going, is product and marketing are coming closer together, where you no longer have this unbelievably underpriced opportunity on Facebook and Instagram to spend tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars a month 
and not just us, but I'm talking about any company, direct to consumer company, media company. Facebook is getting more expensive. Digital marketing in general is getting more saturated. And so I think product and marketing are going to come together where the product is going to start selling itself and marketers are going to sit in on more product meetings. I think a good example of that is the Samsung folding phone. So that thing sells itself. And so it makes marketers' jobs easier. If you saw the New York Times partner with Everlane, I believe it was, to sell Everlane t-shirts with the New York Times slogans on there. And I think that's the way of the world and that's where things are going. Yeah. And I've, you know, I actually was in digital marketing for a couple of years for an e-commerce company and just seeing, yeah, the prices of different advertising platforms obviously increase and you get less out of your money for Facebook and stuff. And it's only going to continue as you have more and more advertisers on there. Like you said, like partnerships are just that much more important and crucial to your business. And one of the things I'm curious about too, with your work at Morning Brew, obviously your co-founder were there in the you know very beginning. How has your role at Morning Brew changed, evolved, you know, in the last few years? Yeah, it changes daily. <laughs> but I wrote at the very beginning. So I was originally a writer. Then Ooh, I was Yeah. Yeah. Let's just say we're all million plus people are lucky that I'm not still writing. <laughs> we wouldn't be in a million people if I still was, but that was my job originally. And then I was more active in the growth of the business. And I was pretty active even sometimes in Facebook ad manager, running ads or evaluating ads. As the companies progressed, I come into more of a strategy role and do more thinking and evaluating what opportunities make sense. How do we manage people? So not only manage the company, but also manage people. How do we know when to hire people? Some of the bigger questions that it's an interesting challenge, especially for someone who hasn't naturally come into a management role. I haven't had really any managers that had one job for 10 weeks as a investment banker, at least one job in the quote unquote real world. And so it's interesting to be put in this manager position where you're managing other people, but you've really never been managed. It's a unique challenge, but it's very fun. Yeah. And you mentioned obviously a hand in the strategy overall and everything of the company. I mean, what does that look like for you? Is I mean, are you always tweaking, adjusting things? Do you have certain like, oh, every you know quarter really review and we're going to really think of the vision and strategy of the company? I'm just curious on process and how that works for you guys. Yeah, so we have quarterly stated the Brunians, which... <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty proud when I came up with that one. Not surprised. That would be the name of it. Yeah, and we relay the strategy to the whole team. The strategy really hasn't changed. It's just gotten bigger. The vision's gotten bigger, not different. The vision has always been to engage young business professionals with the business world. And for the longest time, we didn't have the vision nor the capacity to focus on anything besides one newsletter. Now we have the ability to focus on different verticals. Down the road, we're going to focus on other content forms. So I'm a big fan of one-to-one relationships. We're filming or recording a podcast now. I'm a big podcast fan because I think you form a one-to-one relationship similar to a newsletter. So a newsletter is... It's very intimate. You're in someone's inbox, sent from Morning Brew to you. It's a need. People seek it out. They opt in. It's not a want. It's not a feed-based product. So we are not hoping you scroll past us on Instagram. We are forcing you to opt in. And so that's why we like email so much because opt in. Podcast is very similar. You hear the host voice and you resonate with that person. Uh, Podcasts have massive loyalty and, and significantly a strong rates of people coming back and listening to every episode of a podcast. 
events are similar in that way too. You're interacting with the brand in person. So right. those are the things we think about as we progress and, and grow the company. Yeah. And I'm obviously very bullish on podcasts, as you might imagine. And just seeing the growth over even the last like 10 months, I've been podcasting from you know small audience to a bigger audience, still small audience, but seeing that, yeah, then you have new people listen to old episodes and people then you know listen to more and more episodes as it goes on. And you have the library of episodes and you'd be surprised people keep going back to those early ones even. And you're like, wow, I'm shocked that people do that. But then it just keeps growing exponentially almost in that capacity. So I am curious to listen to your podcast once it is actually live. And we'll see how that goes as well. And one of the things I'm always wondering with entrepreneurs going through their company, there's obviously ups and downs. I'm curious as to kind of what have been the biggest challenges for you as you've grown Morning Brew. As I said before, I think the biggest challenge is hiring. People are the biggest challenge to find the best quality people. To grow a company, I mean, we are in some respects competing with legacy publishers that have been around for I don't even know how long, at least a hundred years, some of these companies, billion dollar market caps owned by companies worth tens of billions. And so we need A players. You just, you can't get it done with B, C, D players. You need people who come to work every day with passion, with drive, who are incredibly smart. They're going to bring the business forward. And that's the hardest thing is just finding more of those people and those people, though, do help find other people's, other good quality people. So I do think there's a flywheel effect of finding really good quality people and them hanging out with other people who are high quality. So I do think it's a flywheel, but it's very important to get that going from the very beginning. I'd say that was one of the biggest challenges. Another was just simply making sure that people realize that just because myself and my co-founder are early 20s doesn't mean that the business is not serious. And so that took some challenge. But I think once we reached scale and we got a little bit of press, I think that that kind of mitigated that risk. Yeah, it's a little hard to question that when you have a million subscribers and you know, you've know you done a fair amount of revenue, obviously, last year. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a legit business, people, if you don't already realize that. And as you've kind of grown this business, uh, you mentioned a little bit about you know going to some different verticals next, some different mediums. Like, what is besides that? Like, what, I mean, what is the grand vision for this? If you have that right now, like, what do you want Morning Brew to become, like, long term? Yeah. So right now, we're very focused, like I said, on on growing the vertical. So we think we can be the go to content provider for not just general business news, but also news in industries. And I think that can extend to not just newsletters, but some audio, some video, and some events as well. And us be your go-to, when you think of how do I interact with the business world, I go to Morning Brew. But that's just the news component. There are many other components to this. And so when you take a step back and think about what are we actually doing as a business, is we are gaining the trust of millions of young business professionals. And the opportunity, once we continue to grow and gain that trust, to figure out what else can we do now that these millions of people trust me is a really, really interesting question for us, something we think about constantly. And that you think about, how can we diversify revenue? Well, if people trust you, what products or services can you sell to them that enhance their relationship with the business world? And there's a bunch of categories that interest me, whether it's personal finance, which is very interesting, or it's education, or recruiting, or even lifestyle, 
in three to five years, I think we'll be in everything. I think we will be a five to seven to maybe even 10 revenue stream business where we have the ads, but we also have a bunch of other products or services that are you know, just in their incubation phases now, but we'll begin to roll out next year and in coming years. And that's the way I view the business is having at some point five to 10 different revenue streams, also you know, five, 10 products yeah. that we are selling people directly. So while the ad revenue is great and we were, are always going to have a very, very healthy and very large ad-based business, I think it was, as we've seen from some of the well-known publishers recently, it's very important to have a diversified revenue streams to yeah. have a healthy business. Well, right. And like you mentioned with these, some of these other companies that you know have raised hundreds of millions, and then you see massive layoffs and you wonder you know, what's broken about the business model and why isn't it working? And then your company is crushing it, obviously smaller than that, not raising hundreds of millions of dollars, but it's just doing something different and then very much so catering to the right audience in, in a special way. And that's what it seems like you've been doing. And so I'm really curious to see on where you guys end up going. And one of the things with running a business newsletter for your demographic that is yourself, where are you personally going then to learn, grow, expand as an entrepreneur then? I read a lot. One of the advantages of working in a media company is we share a lot of content. So as a team, we consume a ton. So I'm a big podcast listener. I listen to industry-specific podcasts. So for the media industry, I think in terms of trying to flex my strategy muscle and learn more there, one of my favorite go-to resources is called Stratechery. If you haven't heard of it, it's a newsletter written by a guy named Ben Thompson. He does one free newsletter a week, I believe two paid a week and one podcast a week. And it's a hundred bucks a year worth every penny. He's incredibly good at breaking down the business world. That's one of my go-to reads. Another one is Shane Parrish, who writes a blog and has a podcast. He's great. And then I'm constantly just, I'm on Twitter a lot. I really like Twitter. It's been my 2019 thing is to get on Twitter, get active follow people way smarter than I am so I can learn from them. What are they consuming? And, and I'm an avid user of Pocket. I'm constantly saving tweet storms, saving articles and going back and reading them. But it's a little bit of everything. Yeah. And there's so much out there. It is helpful though, since you have the team anyways, running a media company, like they're going to send you things. So you're going to get the top news and everything. So I think that's, that's really important. One of the things too, I'm always wondering with entrepreneurs is how do you manage your time and energy, you know, day to day with all the different things that you have going on? It's a good question. I don't know if I have a perfect answer for you. That that's something I think about a lot is in a job where you don't have too many deliverables as the boss or someone who's managing people, how do you ensure you're working on what's most important? I have some personal tricks that work well. I know a lot of people say creativity peaks in the morning, I actually think my creativity peaks more at night. So I like to work on things that are deeper in thought and creative at night. But those are small tips and tricks. I think it's constantly taking a step back and making sure you're focused on what's most important. I like to write down goals for the week at the beginning of the week. At the end of the week, I can see what did I do. It's really easy for anyone, especially someone who has so much flexibility to go through the whole week and be playing defense, so to speak. And so you're constantly dealing with inbound problems, whether it's emails, people wanting to talk to you, get coffee with you, and you spend all of your time on defense. And I think it's very important to play offense. And when I say that, I mean, 
doing what you want to do. So setting three hours aside to do nothing besides sit in a room and work on project, whatever the project may be, project X, project Y. That's what's most important is making sure at the end of the week, you've accomplished something and moved something forward. And you haven't simply been a servant to your email, what other people demand of you. Yeah. And do you actually then block out like specific times for those tasks that do the things that you really need to do like outside of obviously responding to emails and stuff? Yeah, I do. I think it's important too, or or you'll lose focus. So it's really easy just for someone to say, hey, let me get 15 minutes of your calendar here, 20 minutes here. So it's really important to block time off and find time, whether it's during the week, on the weekends, also just to sit and think and think about, is what we're doing right? Are, are we running on a treadmill or are we actually making progress? Yeah. And even taking time away, you mentioned weekends and everything. Are you actively like unwinding, de-stressing on weekends or anything throughout the week? Do you, is it like fitness? Is it meditation? I'm always like curious on that side of things as well, stepping away from the business. How do you do that? Right now I'm, or, or up until recently, I've been very on at all times, but I, I was actually at a speech that Alexis Ohanian, who's the founder of Reddit, was giving, and he's married to Serena Williams, who is one of the greatest athletes ever, if not the greatest. And and he was talking about when she's on, he's never seen someone as on as she is. But then when she's off, he's never seen someone as off as she is, meaning she's not on her phone. She's not texting her agent, phones away, and she's really focused on her free time. And that's been a big focus of mine since I heard that is, is when I'm on and I'm working, be as focused as possible, be as all in as possible. But I also do think it's important to set aside a time on the weekends to have no phone, no Slack, no email, and just simply be off, whether it's going to the gym, going for a run, I just spending time with friends. I think that becomes more and more important, especially as the, the challenges become less and less, how do I stay alive, and more and more complex. So the challenges are, it's always going to be how to make it to tomorrow, but the challenges now are not, how do we make sure we're alive tomorrow, and it's how do we make sure we're thriving next year? How do we make sure we're growing in 2021 and 2022? Right. Yeah, evolve as the business grows. And then as you've gone through these last few years with Morning Brew, I mean, what do you think have been kind of your biggest either lessons or takeaways that you've kind of gleaned from the last few years? It's a good question. I think it's going back to people. I know I keep going back to that, but surrounding yourself with good, smart people is so incredibly important, whether they're friends or people who work for you. And making sure you do that early because that compounds. Knowing five really smart people who you want to surround yourself with will lead to 10 and then 20 and 50. So to me, people always talk about connections and people. I don't think it's about quantity. I think it's about quality and the quality of those relationships. I'd rather have 10 really good relationships with people who I trust and are really smart than roughly or vaguely know a thousand. And so that's one of the big takeaways from this. As well as just one thing that we didn't do great at the beginning that I, I think we're getting better at is appreciating the small wins. So we used to not celebrate, you know, hitting every 10,000 subscribers, every 50,000. It's so easy to continue to look forward. But I do think it's important to, as a team, celebrate the small wins, celebrate product launches. Even if things don't go well, even if a product doesn't go well, it's really important to say, Hey, as a team, we got that product out. Maybe it wasn't the perfect product or maybe. It wasn't executed perfectly, but we accomplished something. Let's at least celebrate that and then reflect. But uh, that's something we didn't do a great job of early on that I'm constantly working on is, is just celebrating those small wins. 
Yeah. And kind of on that same note, I'm just curious for you, like what are you either most proud of or like what have you enjoyed most about the business so far? I love the fact that I get to come to work every day with soon to be 20 people and know that not me personally, but as a team, we accomplish this as a bunch of 20 year olds. There's, I don't, I actually, there might be one person on the team who's in their 30s. But other than that, we're all 20 year olds. And to know that we are a 15 to 20 person team, depending on when you're talking about, but we're a 15 person team. They're all in their 20s who is helping educate the future business leaders of America is really, really cool. And it's something that I think the entire team should be proud of. Uh, it's a huge accomplishment. And it really is the motivation to keep on going forward. The fact that it's millions of people reading our content every day. It's really smart people. We have CEOs of companies, CEOs of stock exchanges, CMOs of the largest credit card companies in the world. Some of the biggest people in media all send... It's crazy when, when the CEO of, of media companies we will admire so much email us, love what you're doing, would love to meet up. Uh, it still blows my mind. It's still <laughs> great feeling when the CEO of a company that I admire so much and there's, you know, there's so much bigger and, and so much more accomplished is telling, you know, 24 year old me, love what you're doing. Uh, that does not get old and it's definitely motivation. It's awesome. Yeah. And I, one of the last things I'm just wondering, uh, is there anything else you'd kind of mention or tell like aspiring entrepreneurs or people just kind of getting started on their entrepreneurial journey? I think that's it. We just said, get started. I think so many people sit around and wish they were entrepreneurs and have thought of ideas. But if you ask them, have they gotten started? Have they tested it? The answer is normally no. I think there's, there's very few people in this world who can both think of an idea and then also take that idea from zero to one. So go from idea to something, whether it's a crappy PDF template or whether it's a crappy app that only works on iPhone, whatever it is, just get started. And if you're not a good ideator, but you want to be an entrepreneur, find someone who has a bunch of ideas because there are a bunch of creative people who have a, a notebook of a hundred ideas, but can't execute them or vice versa. But the most important thing is get started. Because I can't tell you how many people have said to me, Oh, I think of business ideas every day. And I just say, why haven't you launched one? And they don't have a good answer. So get started, get started, started early and just see if your idea sticks. Worst case scenario. You tried something and you learned. And that's the key to this whole thing is being curious and learning. If you're truly a curious person, you'll always be learning. If you're always learning, you're always getting better. And that will help in no matter what you do. You never know too much. Never be too smart. Yeah. And it's such important words, Austin. And where can people go to one, sign up and to learn more about you and all that you're working on? Yeah. So to sign up for Morning Brew, you can go to morningbrew.com. And for me, you can follow me on Twitter at Austin underscore Reef, R-I-E-F. Awesome. And Austin, thank you so much for the time today. I really appreciate it. Cool. Thanks. Have a good day. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. As always, the show notes are over at justgogrind.com slash podcast. And you can support the show over at patreon.com slash justgogrind. And please, please leave a rating and review over on iTunes. It does help more people find the show. Hope you enjoy this episode. Have a great day.